0: So number 132 is Happy American Thanksgiving Eve, even though I'm not American, I still will be celebrating tomorrow by taking the day off work to watch football. But before we get into football, college football, and obviously I'm here with my guest, Joe Provost, a noted Michigan Wolverine fan, uh, we just want to send our well wishes out to Everson Griffin. Obviously, there was that bad incident, to, not incident, but he just had that really bad, like, we don't really know what happened. We just saw, I saw the video with him, the gun in the, his house, and look. No one was harmed. He cooperated. It was a mental health crisis. And we were just glad that everything was handled well and that no one got hurt in the, uh, during the course of the day.
1: Yeah. I mean, I it's right along there with you, I echo your sentiments and, you know, that stuff's always scary. And I do think, you know, um, it's we're coming around on the curve uh, with like the whole mental health thing, especially you know, as it relates to athletes I know for the longest time, it's like, Oh, you know, these guys are athletes. They're, they're paid very well. Like what, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, anybody's capable of, you know, going through unfortunate struggles. So,
0: Exactly. And it's one of those things too, where hopefully echo the sentiment here on YWC football talk, if you need help, please seek help out. Don't be quiet on the matter. For sure. Um, so anyway, we just have to segue in there. We just want, we talked about this off air. We wanted to bring that up first. Um, but this is gonna be a mainly a college football episode. Now, obviously, I know, like I said, there's gonna be football tomorrow, but look, college football is it's unlike the NFL right now because they're truly winding down their regular season where this is rivalry week. We're obviously gonna talk about some of those games. But first of all, we gotta talk about the rankings. And this week, we had some changes. We now have well, Georgia State at one, Alabama and Ohio State flips. I believe now, Ohio State is two, Alabama's three. And the real kicker at number four, the Cincinnati Bearcats finally getting their due. Obviously, Joe, your Wolverines are at number five, but for now, I think it's just great to see the committee finally recognizing that. I I just still can't believe it that they didn't recognize them, not after beating Notre Dame. Sorry to Sean, but that they waited until they beat SMU to finally
1: put them in. Yeah, you know, it's all the it kind of ever since like the playoff um, format has. Uh, taken shape and they implemented it there's every year there seems to kind of be like this one team, if not two that are from not, you know, not a power five or maybe even a power five that's played um, a really inferior schedule. And so the great debate always becomes, um, are we looking for the four best teams or are we looking for the four most deserving teams or is it a mixture of both? Exactly. Exactly.
0: There's always like that one team where it's like, oh, hey, you haven't done enough. Like even one sentiment I want to echo because I I say the same thing too. I think that the committee was waiting. I know this might sour you, but obviously Michigan State beat Michigan, but I feel like they were mm-hmm. waiting for Michigan State to truly like lose, and then they were just going to knock them out. Same thing with Oregon because obviously, well, I mean, I know Michigan State lost bad to Ohio State, but Oregon got obliterated by Utah this weekend, so. We'll see, we'll see what happens, but I feel like there's just a lot of these placeholder things, and it's just one of those things where, look, you're right, there's always, like, those teams that people have a problem with, and I remember the Michigan-Michigan State thing. I know you're obviously a Michigan fan, but the week after, when you guys beat, I want to say – I don't know who you played the week after. I want to say Penn State, and they lost to Purdue, which I feel like a team every year goes in the West Lafayette and gets upset. I don't know what it is. There's always one a year. Yeah, that
1: well, that place is just kind of like a sleeper area where it's just like i mean to put i've attended um a game there and like it would be the equivalent of like a really it's it's crazy to say this being it's big time football but it's literally the equivalent of a premium high school atmosphere like i could see why teams just kind of like sleepwalk going in there and all of a sudden you get boat race because Purdue under their coach has always been capable of putting up points. It's just whether or not, um, you know, they're clicking or not. So I, it's just one of those weird places where you go in, there's not a whole lot of energy. You don't got fans yelling at you. It's just, it's a really sleepy town. It's just, it's, it's just unlike anything else really, as far as like the big 10 goes. So, um, just wanted to give a little bit of, uh, context as to why that ha- why I think that happens sometimes when teams go there no
0: yeah it's like that like kind of thing you sleep on where you're like it going in there you think it could be an easy dub but then sometimes you get upset like obviously there was the one a few years ago where Ohio State went in there and got upset and there was a the whole Tyler Trent story obviously I know that's a little bit different because he was a
1: yeah as soon as I
0: went there was sick and they rallied around him and I think game day made I think I think college game day was there for that one yeah that
1: was the uh kind of the uh, Rondell Moore coming out party.
0: Even that too. Um, noted, um, Mofft Rondell Moore from the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> um, but no, so that was just my point with the, going back to the playoffs of Michigan, Michigan state, where I feel like, look, yeah. you guys are like there. And I know we're going to get into the game, but I'm going to say this right now. I feel like if you guys were to beat Ohio state, I think all hell would break loose for the committee. I think that's like the one, Wait, like, I know you're going to hate this, but I feel like that's their break glass in case of emergency scenario where you guys win. Because I feel like if Ohio State wins, more than likely they'll probably play Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship. They'll probably win because Wisconsin's been really wonky all year. Like you don't know what to expect out of them. So I feel like if Ohio State wins this game, it's hey, everything's fine. Ohio State's probably going to be a lot to make it. But if you guys come in there and win, it literally is going to change. It could change the landscape of who gets in.
1: Yeah, I think just, and I know going back, like, you know, I have some friends who are Michigan, most of my friends are Michigan people, but, you know, some Michigan, uh, some Michigan state friends, and we exchanged text messages and everything about everything. And, um, you know, as far as like the committee goes on that point, it's like, it there wasn't consistency. And I'm, you know, I'm obviously biased Michigan, but like for the longest time they had Ohio state over Oregon and, uh, or excuse me, Oregon over Ohio state, but because Oregon had beat Ohio state earlier in the year, but then the head to head, they didn't like apply it as much to the Michigan, Michigan state situation. And I mean, look, we can sit and say like, you know, that's a game, you know, Michigan's up 16 points late in the third quarter. Um, you know, you can look, you can point the finger at refs, whatever. I mean, Michigan never should have blew a 16-point lead like that. Um, But the thing is, is, like, that's one of those weird things where it kind of circles back. It's like, not that's probably a game that Michigan wins eight out of ten times, but the fact that they didn't, like, there should be some credit, you know, to Michigan State there. Um, but the, I think the committee, one thing that, and it's kind of like a conspiracy theory a little bit is they try to, sometimes they fork it, like they're also looking ahead and they're supposed to not be, but it's clearly evident to me in their rankings that they do because they want to, they want to set a precedent to where like, if certain scenarios play out that they kind of have a scapegoat. I'm struggling to think of an exact scenario right now, but if you pay really close attention to the rankings, they kind of they try to pad themselves in case of situations. And I think that was one, like right now, you know, you, you mentioned if Michigan were to, if Michigan were to beat Ohio state, well, on paper, everything should kind of get a little bit wonky, but I don't really see it going that way because of all the other one loss teams, they've Michigan's consistently been ahead of all of them.
0: One I do have, one I do have for you though, is, I can still see a world – because I'm looking at the rankings right now. I don't think Notre Dame will make it just based on the Cincinnati head-to-head and the fact they're not going to be playing in a uh, conference championship game. My big question, too, is Oklahoma State. I still think they're the outside dogs to truly make it. Because if they can beat Oklahoma and Bedlam this Saturday and they win the Big 12, I think there is a case to be made for them. Because if Cincinnati loses, whether it be to Eastern Carolina, which they should win, or to Houston, which that may be the game they lose – I feel like yeah. Cincinnati's that same thing. That's Cincinnati, look, they, they're giving them a moment in the sun. The second that they lose, though, it's like okay, you, it's like you're done. Because if Cincinnati loses and Oklahoma State runs the table, I think Oklahoma State could, very well could be the fourth team. My whole thing with Michigan, though, was just I think that look, if Michigan like loses a Saturday, it is what it is. I feel like the World's Bowl's probably going to end up being the you guys versus Oregon, which isn't the worst case scenario. I guess, but at the same time, too, I do. Do you see where I'm coming at?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. It, it'll be interesting. I mean, there's, that's the thing too is like the, like a lot of people make a big deal out of like the rankings and it's fun. Like I kind of get it like, you know, it makes for a good TV in the moment and it gives them something to debate about for, you know, an hour on air. And then people debate it over and over and, you know, whether or not you agree, disagree, whatever, at the end of the day, you've got people talking about what you're talking about college football. So that's kind of like the strategy and it's working, even if like people don't necessarily agree with it. Um, So that's just, you know, but so many of these things that we, that people debate and argue about, they end up playing themselves out and that's the most important thing. Um, But I do get it because it is, you know, some people will look at it and say, well, Hey, you know, if the season ended today, like my team would be screwed um, based on their logic. So I, I get both sides of it, but, Luckily enough, um, you know, these things tend to play themselves out.
0: Yeah, I get that. I get that. I just wanted to throw that out there. as, hey, I think this yeah. is one of those whole, you know, they have to keep all scenarios open, even though I feel like they're, they're going to try to keep it as easy as they can, considering, like I said, look, at the end of the day, if I'm the committee, they're probably going to want, look, Georgia and Alabama probably are going to be there. Ohio State should make it. Yep. And then the fourth seed, I feel like that, that's what it's like every year, except in years past it was usually Alabama, Clemson, And then the other two were kind of like randoms, with 2019 obviously being the exception. So it was always like, even years past, it was always Alabama, Clemson, and Oklahoma. And then the fourth was just like a random place filler. Like, hell, the year Washington made it and got the
1: gap, and then Alabama kicked their ass in the Peach Bowl. That's the thing, too, is like, you know, that's one of the main, and I'm for expansion. I think eight would be a perfect number, but that's one of the main arguments, is they're like, you know, with, right now there's just such a big – with the exception of the very first year when Ohio State ended up running the table um, with their second and third string quarterbacks, they – you know, that's that's one of the big arguments right now is like, look, why do we need more teams when there's a sizable gap just about every year between teams, you know, uh, three and four and then on? Like the gap is just so huge. Typically,
0: what I normally would do because I look at five to eight this year, I don't think there's a huge gap between the four teams that are in the four right now and then you have Michigan Notre Dame Oklahoma State and Baylor because Baylor a team who's really bounced back this year I know they have two losses but Baylor's looked really good in their moments they have a really good defense uh, so I think if you like, if you' were doing it this year, I don't think there is, but I think there would be some years where you know what yeah they're you're gonna get a game maybe one or two where you know what a quarterfinal instead of a semifinal could be an asshole.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah. You know, I, I just, I think, I think overall in the interest of fairness and in the interest of money, I do think that they get to the eight teams. And I mean, you, I guess you never know, right? Like crazier things have happened. I, I, you know, every time somebody makes a graphic of like what an eight-team eight team playoff would look like this year, it's just like you see the matchups on paper and you're like, how, "How? as a fan of football, like, how could you say no to that?
0: Exactly. It's one of those things where you look at it, you're like, look, it's going to make more money. They're going to have bigger television ratings. Because obviously this year you're going to have New Year's Eve where you have the, the two semifinals, which I'm still trying to figure out in my head how Street and Fowler are going to call one of those games. And then they're going to have to go to Pasadena and do the Rose Bowl. I know they usually do that every year. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it'll be... A bit i mean they logistically they always seem to figure that out but yeah it's 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 crazy their schedules private jets exist for a reason and also i'm going to tell you right now i don't i've said
0: i brought i brought it up on the podcast before and the guests after we record but for the folks out there who did not read the book yet read kirk Street's book i highly recommend it
1: yeah i haven't gotten a chance to dive into that one yet i did see you tweeting about it and um despite him being a Buckeye, it's definitely, I think it's obviously that's just, that's just, you know, part of it, but uh, probably a book that, you know, any fan could enjoy.
0: Exactly. And also to the fact that his dad coached with Bo Schoenbach before Bo went to uh, Ohio State mm-hmm. and that his dad could have followed Bo to Michigan. So who knows where the Herb Street goes, but it just truly shows the whole background of his, his, his story is one of those ones where it's like, really cool because there's a lot of stuff I had no idea about, you know?
1: Right. No. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And then um, going into this weekend, obviously it's rivalry weekend. You guys get Ohio State a match. We were bereft of last year Michigan, this Michigan Ohio State game. Um, I know game day will be there. I don't know who the game is going to be called on Fox. If we're going to get Fowler Valor Street, or if we're going to get Gus Johnson and his overzealous excitement to it. So I was just trying to figure out where this one's going. But yeah, um, it's going to be
1: on Fox. It's uh. Fox is locked in the contract for that game for like the foreseeable future, so it's going to be a Clatt and, uh Gus call. I do like Joel Clatten. I will say that I like him because he's
0: like, uh, how do I say this correctly? He has his knowledge, but at the same time, too, he's not like like has his like opinion takes like his opinions like very sound. Like I didn't remember watching him break down his college playoff bracket, and it made a lot of sense to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. So when he and he, when he does try to set a narrative it's based on like very like either sharp opinion if not just like backed up by like stats another thing that i like is he's not afraid like to and he's very i think he's very fair if you talk to michigan state fans they think he slobbers over michigan too much and it's funny he had to do a whole bit about that explaining himself and why like he he says that you know michigan state um is the fan base that constantly gives him the most like grief or whatever, but it's just funny. But anyways, he's also not afraid. He's very, I see, I think he's very objective, um, very insightful, and he's not afraid to like, you know, you don't see a whole lot of commentators kind of like dig into the officials during a game and he's not afraid to go there. So I just think he's, it just comes off really like pure and authentic. Exactly, 100%.
0: Um, I only ask about the question just because I don't know exactly who goes where, but then I feel like once you say, yeah, Michigan State, Michigan-Ohio State's locked in for Fox, I feel like ESPN will probably do Bedlam and uh, I want to say it's in still water this year, but there's just, like, with this game in general, though, I think there is a chance that, look, cause i think, I think John Harbaugh pretty much knows, too, that if he doesn't beat uh, Ohio State here, it's going to look really bad, and that's what I think boost because, I'm just, I'm just going to kind of want to say this. It's going to get my words mixed up in a little fashion. If he doesn't win this game, I can see a very good chance that he's
1: on that coaching carousel with the rest of the guys that are on there that now includes Dan Mullen from Florida. Yeah. So it's interesting, right? Like, obviously this is a game that Michigan has been overdue to win for, you know, they haven't won it. it this It's been 10 years now uh it which is just crazy because like in my early childhood like no matter how good Ohio State was like Michigan like you know would would win at like at two out of three clip and then all of a sudden you know it just went super heavy into the Ohio State favor. So definitely definitely due to win one. I just don't know if this is the year um and michigan's got a decent squad but this team this ohio state team is loaded and not only are they loaded they're clicking at the right time exactly wait, 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 I, I lost
0: i just zoned up for a quick second were you saying that michigan's clicking or ohio state's clicking?
1: ohio State. not there's ohio state is super loaded and they're clicking at the right time my bad my bad i completely zoned out folks it happens
0: um but yeah you're right because like i watched the game against Michigan State, where I'm like, all right, I, like when I saw the 19 and a half point spread, I was like, I think that's a little too high. I think there's going to be a chance that Michigan State covers and that, like, you know how last year when Ohio State played Nebraska, or not Nebraska, I think it was uh, not Nebraska, Indiana. Indiana yeah. held them really close. I think it was like 45 to 38 final. I thought it was going to be like that kind of game. No, I remember I went out, I had to go run some errands, and then I came back home. And I see 49-3, to and I'm like, well, so much for Michigan State's hopes.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was one that I actually had predicted as – quite. I didn't ever realize it would be that lopsided, but I thought it could get pretty ugly simply because Michigan State – every team that Michigan State played this year, their quarterback had their best game. And what's Ohio State's greatest strength? The pass. Their passing attack. They've got three future NFL wide receivers starting uh, NFL tight end probably a future NFL quarterback, even though those tend to not pan out so well. Um, Although Justin Fields is looking a little bit better these days. I think, you know, I just, that had, you know, massacre written all over it. But, you know, I, granted, I do follow these teams very, very closely throughout the year. Um, But yeah, I mean, even outside of that game, they've just, you know, if you look at the early tape of Ohio state from early in the year, it's, it's, it's almost like a different team. Like if they, you know, they, they would never lose to Oregon if they were, if they were to meet up right now, it's just a, it's just a different team that's just really finding their stride at the best time to find their stride. Exactly. And
0: Oregon played so bad against Utah that the doc even was out of it. He didn't want to watch anything. <laughs> he knew anything to do with that game. He was watching videos on his uh, leather or phone or a tablet. Um, mm-hmm. I do agree with you. Um, also, another player to watch out for is the tight end Rucker from uh, Long Island, who I think will be going in the NFL Draft this year as well. I, know, yeah. I thought he was going to come out last year, but I feel like he came back. So, obviously, there's the Kyle Pitts factor. Um, you have Garrett Wilson, who's going to be going in the first round. You have uh, what I am I know I tweeted about this, and you said the Patriots don't have a top-ten pick. But until he is not selected by the New England Patriots, I am saying that Chris Olave will be a Patriot because he basically fits the mold and he's their prototypical receiver. That's why I say that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, every reason to want a guy like that. I mean, he is one of the best route runners that I have seen. Like he runs, like people have compared him to Amari Cooper, who is like an all time route runner. And (laughs) great hands it's just it's it's incredible it 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 just it really is and it pains me to like give them so much credit but uh, i i think you know with a even a just a decent combine showing i think he in ohio state if there's one position where you know they're kind of getting a rap for being bad quarterback producers because they it, it it's more the the college system that they run um but wide receiver is something that just translates you've seen in wide receivers are hitting their stride early. You look at guys like Jamar chase, Justin Jefferson. I know those are uh, not Ohio state guys, but I'm just saying like, you know, Ohio state had guys, you know, ball out as receivers. You look at like the Michael Thomases of the world, you know, going all the way back to Ted and There's been so many guys in between. E. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're just, it's crazy. Exactly. You even two guys like
0: Joey Galloway back in the 90s. Let's shout out oh, for, yeah. for that one. Um, my whole thing with Ohio, like, you're right. I think Ohio State, look, they're the top dogs in the Big Ten for now, but Michigan, though, I will say this. Even though all those, I think two of the three I mentioned are going to be first-rounders, they're not going to be drafted as high, in my opinion, as this guy, and this is a guy who I really like he brings good character on and off the field, and that is Michigan defensive end Aiden Hutchinson. He's played great this year. is that guy that he reminds me kind of like what J.J. Watt like was. I'm only saying that now because I'm talking about J.J. Watt like early 2010s, like mid-2010s, you know, before the injuries kind of kicked in for him where I feel like he can go into an NFL locker room and be that voice on a team that needs it in the NFL.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good comparison. And I think, you know, he's kind of – he's built like how J.J. was at Wisconsin. And he's just got that – that relentless... buzz cut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's got just that relentless, like, motor. And it's just, you know... You you just... T- like, a lot of people have given him so much credit for helping turn Michigan around. You know, coming off, like, uncharacteristically god-awful year. And, uh, and then, you know, his counterpart, um, you know, Aiden's been eating a lot of double teams and that, but that's really opened up. And now Ojabo who's the opposite defensive end. And obviously, I mean, it goes without saying those two are going to be key for Michigan having any chance. You've got, you can't give, you can't give OSU all day to sit in the pocket and throw, I don't care who the quarterback is, whether it's Stroud or whoever, like if, if they have time, it's only a matter of time before those talented receivers get open. Those two will be absolute keys. And yeah, it's been great to see, you know, uh, Aiden get his, get his, uh, Get his due credit, you know, because what I'm thinking he's like top five, pretty much consensus at this point. I would say so. I would still personally put uh Kayvon Thibodeau above him. I feel oh, like, oh, yeah, for, definitely because his ceiling's just so much
0: higher, exactly. And I also feel like, too, this year I think this, this coming draft reminds me a lot of 2016, you know, where there's not really a set quarterback. Now, obviously, there's Dak Prescott on the fourth round coming out of Mississippi State. But with a lot of the guys in 2016, there was no bonafide first overall pick. I feel like this year you're either going to have someone move up and grab a quarterback, even though, look, hey, Detroit could take a quarterback and we can get into that bit later. Because I know you're now more a Buck fan and a Brady fan than a Lion fan for obvious reasons. But I feel like because of the Goff contract, I feel like Detroit can afford to you know, draft Kayvon Thibodeau with the first overall pick. And then either draft a quarterback with the Rams pick because there will be someone there. Or you can even take that pick, trade up, and move. Or even wait a year for someone else to come out. Like, a, like I don't know, if they want to wait for uh, Ongaro If they want to wait for DJ, because I'm not going to try to butcher that last name. <laughs> um, that's my whole thing with that. Um, because I feel like I said, this year's draft, it's more going to be position-heavy. It's going to be not 2013
1: by any means. No, 2013 was a god-awful draft, even though, go Chips. That's, uh, that's yeah, yeah, it's funny you say that because I've seen a lot of comparisons to 20, a lot of people want to liken this to 2013, and I think it's just because of a lack of a bona fide quarterback. But this this class is too much defensive, and I think wide receiver talent to be kind of compared to that. Oh
0: God, no! And also considering too, I
1: don't know if you've ever done
0: this. Like I've seen also seen TikToks of it before, where people will be like, guys randomly think of stuff, and they'll be like, 2013 draft, and I'm like. The second overall pick was out of the league within four years. Like, I'm telling you right now, if Aiden Hutchinson goes number two overall, he's not going to be out of the NFL in five years. No.
1: No. Yeah, you wouldn't think so.
0: That's what I'm trying to say. So this draft, yeah, you know what? It's not as... I'm going to use the word sexy. It's not as sexy as the last few years with the quarterback
1: position, but there's still a lot of talent to be had. Oh, no doubt. And, you know, I think you hit the nail right on the head with your last point with regards to the Lions. I mean, they were... like. They they have so many other needs. Like quarterback, you might as well just wait, especially since there's not a on paper can't miss prospect right now. Exactly. My other thing too is
0: I I had a guest come on here, Keegan Stiefel, who's uh, he covers the Patriots. He's a bit of a he's a he got accepted to Ohio State but he ended up going to UMass Lowell instead. So he kinda of cheers for Ohio State and you know, he that's why like he's the one who got me under the Crystal Lobby on the Patriots train show, Keegan. But with um was I was just trying to say. Uh, fuck, I lost my train
1: of thought. Um, but I honestly lost my train of thought because I went on and gave a shout out to Keegan. What were you saying? We were we- talking about the Lions a little bit and like just the uh, the talent of this, this upcoming class. So it's not as like sexy.
0: Right. You know what? I'm, I'm going to say this because I lost my train of thought and I feel awful for it.
1: Draft for need, not for appeal. Yeah, and I mean, you, that's what more teams need to do. And it, it's just crazy to me that, you know, so, like a quarterback is just not, it's just like the Jets. Like a quarterback, no matter who it was, wasn't going to fix your problems. You have, when you can't protect and you can't defend, you, like a quarterback, just not going to fix anything. Tyler Lindenbaum
0: in a Jets jersey already gives me nightmares. I did not want to think about him tied back on the same line.
1: Oh, my. Yeah, it's I'd say next to the next to the Lions, the Jets are like the most like sorry franchise right now. Exactly. But the only thing that the Jets have going for them is the fact that they have
0: probably going to the, the Jets. There's a very good chance they have either two top five or two top ten
1: picks this year. They're definitely going to yeah. have one top five. The fact that they made of two, two of the top ten is kind of scary. And I honestly, I wouldn't touch a skill position guy. Like build the trenches. Exactly, you build the trenches because I think their dream scenario would be
0: like you know we'll get a Lindenbaum. Even there's Demarlin uh, Marvin Leal from Texas a m There's um there's another kid coming out of Alabama because I'm gonna go on a tangent here, but I'm gonna say this with offensive linemen, there are certain schools that build them and. Michigan, obviously, is coming there, even though Cesar Ruiz has struggled a bit this year. But you still have Taylor Lewan. You have uh, – who else do you have in that category? Taylor Lewan, Michael Alwenu, of course. And uh, I want to say there's a – Jalen like Mayfield.
1: Jalen Mayfield, even lot
0: that, that offensive line is shit. Um, yeah. Them, Iowa. But the main three, in my opinion, for building offensive linemen is Iowa, Wisconsin, and Alabama.
1: Yeah, I'd, even though I, they're another rival, I give a compliment, an honorable mention to like Notre Dame.
0: Oh, yeah. There's certain guys, like, I heard this on part of my tape from Barstool's Joko Time where they're like, uh, they're interviewing Mike McGlinchey, Obviously, he's one of the top 10 East from Notre Dame. And they were like, Mike McGlinchey, you play offensive line at Notre Dame. You just hear the name, you just think, boom, Notre Dame offensive lineman. Or like Quentin Nelson. Exactly. Like, I feel like those schools, like Alabama's the exception, but I feel like, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and Iowa. It's just those
1: big, beefy Midwestern boys. Oh, yeah, exactly. They're like corn fed Midwest dudes. Exactly. Like worked out on a farm. Like you could just the like. The SEC I, ones are just like athletic freaks that are like 6'6, 3'20 and can run like a 4'9. <laughs> it's,
0: it's silly. Like Andrew Thomas, Cedric Wills, uh, Alex Leatherwood, obviously. He's been okay this year. But even two out of the Pac 12, he got some good ones like Colton Miller, for example. And then also to uh, Brandon Scherr from Washington. That's another one from Iowa. Yep. Yeah. but um, They pumped him out. Exactly. They just keep pumping him up. But, no, on and off the college football playoff. Look, we hope everything kind of, like, figures its stuff out. Hopefully everything kind of gets right. And you know what? I just hope this year we, when we do have, we do have four candidates. Because the only other scenario I can see which could really unlock Pandora's box is Alabama losing either to Iowa – not Iowa, excuse me, to Auburn in an upset – or the SEC Championship against Georgia. Yeah,
1: you know, that's that's what's going to be really interesting. And, like, I think as long as – and I don't – it escapes me. Who who does Georgia have this weekend?
0: I'm pretty sure it's Georgia. If it's rivalry week, I'm yeah, going to yeah, see Georgia yeah, attack. Right, so that's a
1: dub. Right. That's a dub. So that, like, barring – like, I mean, they're going to blow them out. I think, like, Georgia could even lose the SEC Championship. They're They're a lock at this point. They're not going to fall past four.
0: I think Georgia would have to get their asses kicked by Alabama to get kicked out at this point. I think if they were to go in there and lose close, they still get in. But if if it's like if Alabama for some reason blows them out, then we're talking a different story.
1: Yeah. And just the way Georgia is built, they're not They're is Could they lose? Absolutely. But they're not. It's hard to fathom them no matter who they're playing, getting blown out because their defense is just so good. Like, you know. And and they've got pieces on offense, so I just it's really hard to fathom, you know, seeing a blowout. I think with both
0: schools, they have good position players. It's just quarterbacks the only question because for as good as the offense, for as good as all the offenses are, I feel like Mm -hmm. Bryce Young obviously is a freshman, and then you don't really know what you're going to get with Stenson Bennett, and then JT, and then JT Daniels obviously is on the bench. So I think those quarterbacks they just have to do the bare minimum and not turn the ball over and and they'll win
1: yeah and you know that's the thing right it's like you know you start talking about like future matchups and you know there's a reason I think why like you know they play the games obviously but like Georgia is just the most complete team despite the question at quarterback and even if even if, you know, one of them is having a really, really bad game, I think you could flip the switch to the other and, you know, even attack it that way. I mean, they've, they've had an answer for just for everybody this year. Um, You know, at the end of the day, today's, today's, uh, today's game, a good offense uh, beats a good defense, just especially in college, in my opinion. Um, so that's why I, th- I think a lot of people are already, like, eyeballing um, an Ohio State-Georgia matchup because that's what everybody wants to see. Um, and that would be – I think that would be their best test like, outside of an Alabama.
0: Exactly. Like, all roads lead to Indianapolis. And how funny would it be if the one Big Ten representative were to make it to the big, to the uh, final in Big Ten country?
1: Yeah. No, that would be – It'd be Buckeye-heavy over there if that ends up being the case, for sure.
0: Oh, 100%. 100%. I um, just I to switch gears here quickly talk NFL, because obviously I didn't realize this was no recording, but you happened to be at the game that I was watching live Monday night. You were at giants Um Yeah. Buccaneers obviously got the big win. Look, I had I had the Giants on the spread just because I was like, look, they always managed to keep it close, but this was not the case. This game was an ass-whooping
1: yeah, I think if you, you know, if you, I think the Bucks really came out wanting to prove something, um, you know, poor, poor, poor performance. You know, the, the New Orleans performance wasn't great, but they've gone into New Orleans before. It's a tough place to play. It's the first time you're hearing that level of crowd noise um, in New Orleans. And, you know, it's just things happen there and it it is a tough place to play so you kind of just like chalk it up as like okay whatever um but to see them come out of a bye week and with the showing and tom you know no problem admitting it arguably his worst game in a bucks uniform just from a read perspective because they had mike evans open a lot and you know fans were kind of like wondering like what's going on the offense doesn't seem to be clicking um, so fast forward, you know, going, if you would have told me, you know, if they skate by the Giants and, or excuse me, the the football team and kind of come into that one uh, are coming off of, you know, an easy win. I, you know, I think it's a different perspective, but only because they, you know, came in like feeling like, okay, like we need to write this ship right now. Um, you saw they came out right away first drive. It was no huddle up tempo trying to, trying to, you know, inject some life into that offense. So obviously we know it's very good. It's like what happened to it. Um, I think that's the reason the score kind of got like it did. Otherwise I would have, I would have agreed, you know, giants probably keep it close. Like they kind of are capable of. You know what? I, I'm
0: the same. I have the same kind of logic as you Where I even noticed that right away too. There no tempo. And the big thing with the Buccaneers too, that was that last year, it's happening again this year. And it happened with Tom in New England. You give him time to throw the ball, you get good protection in front of him, that's when the that's that's a recipe for your team to lose. That's honestly yeah. what's gonna happen. The Giants gave no pressure to Tom. How when Tom's running crazy like that, you know, where he's getting first down yardage on third down, where he's gaining more than five yards, it's like the South Park expression you're gonna have a bad time. And that's literally what happened with the um with the Giants on Monday night. And then even to the defense, my big concern, too, is defensively because of no Vita Vea, obviously, on the defensive side of the ball. He's a big cog in that defensive line. We got the big man interception and a big man touchdown, so it was a good day for the big boys. With yeah, obviously Steve, so. McClendon, Steve McClendon with a pick, Andrew Thomas with the touchdown. Um, but all in all, this was just one of those wins where I think everyone expected, look, the box are going to get back on board. They're going to bounce back. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. I love the fact that there's parity in the NFL this year that like we don't really know who's going to win. Like sure Kansas City and Tampa are trying to figure it out. But at the yeah. same time too, we don't really know what's going
1: to happen. No, and that's but I was I was just having this conversation with uh with a friend. This year is and it it's more so in the AFC, but it's both sides. It is wide open. Teams that you thought like we're going to be untouchable, like the Bucks and the Rams. They've had some very like kind of like whoa, like what's going on moments. Um, teams like the Chiefs, obviously, their do- their struggles have been well documented. Um, then, then you have like the Ravens, who you know look like they're going to just be captain comeback and win- come from behind every game. Um, no lead is safe type of a deal, and now they're losing some questionable games. It's just like you said, there's so much parity. And you know it's been upset, uh, quote unquote, upset city for like the last couple of weeks in the league. Exactly, and then also like
0: in the AFC, even, too now you have Buffalo struggling a bit, and then there's a huge matchup with New England because at this time this year I don't think anyone thought New England was going to be exactly there, especially when they're two and four. Patriots fucked around. Now they're seven and four, um, and then you also have two other teams like Cincinnati finally taking that leap forward, Cleveland being kind of inconsistent. Uh the LA Chargers looking pretty good. And then I thought the Raiders were gonna be there, but they seem to be raidering, if you will, where yeah. they they find like just from November and December, they find ways to lose. My only gripe with the Chiefs right now is I know they've won three in a row, but when you look like uh four in a row, excuse me. Uh yeah, yeah. So let's see, they let's see, yeah, Giants, 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 Packers. yeah, they won four in a row, and only one of the wins was truly impressive because if I look at it. They beat the Giants by three. They beat the Jordan Love Packers by less than a touchdown. And then Dallas was kind of more, that was just a defensive game and that they, Dallas made more mistakes than they did. So my whole thing with Kansas City is until that offense goes out there and truly puts on a clinic consistently, that's when I'm going to say, okay, look, now we can start talking about Kansas City being in a serious contendership role. Will they probably be there in late January? There's a very good chance of it. I'm not going to doubt them. But I'm just saying, like, for me personally, I need to see that offense truly prove something. Like how this week, for example, that the Bucs
1: went in and took care of the Giants. Obviously, they just beat them, but they took care of business. Yeah, they're, uh, you know, they're still a team that, like you said, you made some good points. Like, they're, you know, some of their wins have come and they've been close against some inferior teams, you know, to kind of get back on track. At the end of the day, you got to win those games and, I get you know, you can point at it and say that they're doing that. Um, but these are the coming weeks here where you start to see teams kind of really take off and that ends up determining, you know, you you see the trends every year. The teams that get hot right now have the best chance to make a serious run. Exactly. Because like
0: uh, Mike Florio said it a couple of times, I'm going to echo the sentiment now because I said it before, there's always those teams, though, that like figure it out right now. Thanksgiving, there's always those teams that figure it out. At Thanksgiving, and those are the ones to truly, you know, go out there and get the win and figure it out and make a stretch run in January.
1: Yep, hundred percent.
0: Yeah, that, that, like that's why I just wanted to echo the sentiments of look with the whole uh, with parity and just everything like that with the league, and then also to we'll see what happens tomorrow because obviously we have the three slated games: uh, Detroit, Chicago. Which now there were there are reports surfacing that Matt Nagy could get fired. Um, and I've heard this, and I want to run this by you. I see a very similar thing could potentially happen. Like, you know how last year the Lions hosted the Texans, the Texans weren't that good. Deshaun Watson went there and had his best game of the year. Wolf Fuller looked incredible. And then two days later, Patricia was fired. I know there was those reports that came out from, it was so it's weird. So he's not a Bears reporter, but he's won a Pulitzer Prize, which is a very big award in writing for the Chicago, I think it was the Chicago Sun-Times, not the Tribune. And, so when I saw that, I'm like, okay, I'll bite in and, and I'll believe this. I think if the if the Lions do honestly come out tomorrow and just win, but dominate from the start in a what would be a rare fashion, that's why I can see Nagy getting fired. But if Nagy does win tomorrow, even if it's close, I still feel like that's the kind of game you know where, hey,
1: if the Bears win, Nagy's job is safe. Yeah, I think if you were gonna fire him, you probably would have by now, just to kind of get it out of the way. But I do think they're going to give him this game. And, you know, look, if if somehow the Lions pull this one out, and I think it was already, like, over a month ago, I was saying this is the Lions' best chance at a win. Um, I know that they ended up playing the Steelers to a tie in an all-time god-awful game that nobody uh, – if you're a casual, or if you're if if that was the game that introduced you to football, I feel sorry because that's not a true reflection of football. That was awful. Um, but as far as like this game goes, like if you look at the Lions' schedule, this is this is their own, this is their best chance, and I still don't think that they're going to get it done. So therefore, I think Maggie survives another week. Exactly. Yeah. Like even too, I know that the Bears
0: play the um, I want to say I think it's the Cardinals next week. Even though they play the Cardinals, I still feel like, hey, if you win this game, your leash is extended. But with that being said, I know everyone's saying this game's going to be boring and we're going to be forced to watch this. Yes, I'll say this. This game's going to suck. Am I taking work off tomorrow to watch all the games? Yes. Am I going to gamble on this game? Yes. Am I taking the under? You better fucking believe it. <laughs> what is that setup, up, by the way? The under is... I know the spread is uh, Bears are three and a half, which I... I'm really, I'm. I honestly want to take the lines to cover that, a three and a half points,
1: but the over/under is at forty-one and a half. Forty-one and a half, man. I, and that's and that, like, for those who are unfamiliar, that's like that's like low as is. I, like I have this game, like, I'm Sorry to cut like you off. Twenty-one to twenty game. <laughs> I was going to
0: say twenty to seventeen is an ideal finishing score for this game. Yeah, I could see it being like 20 to 13. Even better. I'm just was saying that because I have, I'm have i in a spread pool with my dad right now and then that he signed me up for with some people that he knows. And I right now I have the Lions to cover the spread at three and a half. I may change that, but a big portion of that too is also does Jared Goff go? Because if Jared Goff goes, I might take it. But if uh, – because here's the thing with the Lions too. The Lions haven't been exactly getting it right. I think they've only gotten their asses kicked, I want to say, two or three times out of their ten games this year. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. One of them I one of them I'm gonna tell you right now, this is how bad my this is how much bad luck. So folks, for those of you who know, I post gambling videos on my TikTok that I also post on Instagram weekly. I have not had a profitable Sunday yet. Week uh I'm gonna say week nine. No no, no this is week twelve, so uh week eight, I took I took the Lions on the money line thinking that the Eagles game was going to be an easy dub, and they got their asses kicked. So that's how much it goes to show how my gambling season
1: has been this year.
0: They're doing better with
1: hockey. It it can be tough. It can be real tough. I think I've told you before, like, I'm a big fan of just, like, obviously there's some some spreads that just stand out at me, but I'm a big fan of just, like, just straight-up money line because you just see so many just gross backdoor covers. Or garbage exactly. time, garbage time, um, garbage time scores, and it's just like ugh. It's hard to stomach. Like the two that I've
0: experienced this year was actually one was the Lions week one against San Francisco. They had an ugly backdoor cover, and then there was the one with the Jets. Obviously, a few weeks ago, with the Jets almost got the backdoor cover against the Colts on Thursday Night Football. Oh yeah, uh, that was a uh,
1: that was that was that was almost an all timer. Scared the shit out of me. <laughs>
0: um, so yeah that's my only thing with tomorrow is look I expect a low scoring game I just think it's going to be a lot of like you know third downs chances to do something and it's going to be a field goal game hell this game could be nine to be 9-6 to for all I care all I know is look my money's on the under It's just, it's just too easy to pass up and I've also looked at it too only that San Francisco I think it's only the San Francisco game and I want to say the Rams
1: game the Lions scored more than 17 points in the game yeah, I mean, needless to say, no matter who, like, again, quarterbacks aren't going to be an issue, but at the same time, like Jared Goff was, you, people can argue he was slightly above average or just completely average in the McVay system, and the McVay system in and of itself is supposed to elevate quarterbacks. Um, so obviously, you know, you take him out of that, put him in a really, really, really bad situation, and you get what we are seeing before us. 100%. As I quickly pull up
0: the uh, scores, because I actually want to see those stack quickly just to see their point totals for the year. Um, so let's see what we got. We have 33, 17, 17, 14, 17, 11, 19, 6,
1: 16, and 10. Yeah, and Dan Campbell's calling the plays now, so that's uh, that's a whole other thing in and of itself. I don't, it hasn't gotten any better. So. I'll have a game here they're going to win. They're going to win Week 16 at the Atlanta Falcons. I don't even see that. Oh, <laughs> I, I did say that, that They might be whoever. who Who's the backup quarterback? He got Josh Rosen. Bit. If we get Josh Rosen versus Tim Boyle, that's like going to be the worst game of all time. Yeah, and you know what? Like, if the Falcons are just flat out out of it, why not just throw Rosen out there? And then if you end up losing, you, you know, you might buy yourself about three or four spots in the draft.
0: Exactly. Oh, exactly. Oh, but you know what? The stretch run is going to be great. Um, the college football, like, look, a college football it's going to be a great finish because I know there's only, what, one more rankings show left. And then next Sunday, everything gets announced.
1: Yep. Yep, right so, after, uh, right after uh, championship uh, weekend.
0: Exactly, because I know for timings right now, I believe the Pac-12 goes Friday night, the Big 12 goes at noon. Then the SEC, ACC gets kind of bobbled in there because honestly, the ACC is the one show where it's just I don't I don't care. It's like I think that the ACC now is slowly becoming the redheaded stepchild this year compared to like I say that because it's, that's been the expression before for the Pac-12. Of the Pac-1 Yeah, like that. you
1: know, without a without Clemson, you know, having you know any luck this year, they're just yeah, they're it it's down bad. I mean, Wake Forest is you know kind of whatever. Like we all knew that they you know probably weren't as good as their ranking, but at the same time, it's like okay, who else are you gonna put there?
0: They're a cute story for lack of a better term. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like Virginia
0: Tech fired their coach. Miami's a fucking disaster.
1: Florida, Florida State's awful. Yeah, I, there's a lot of just, like, like the, that conference as a whole, and you usually don't, like, I know even, like, when Clemson was just, you know, dominating, it's just interesting to see, like, these, you know, these teams um, just being so bad all at the same time. Because there's some of them are named programs that have had, you know, good runs. Virginia Tech's been good in the past. Florida State, you know, how you know we're not super, super, super far away removed from like the Jameis Winston and then followed by Dalvin Cook days, and then in the '90s they were really good. And it's just Miami. I mean, the greatest teams of all time. With the the, yeah, with the recruiting grounds down there. I mean, it just you know you would think that it would just you know, kind of click naturally and they just, for whatever reason have not been able to find gain any traction since like the early 2000s.
0: Exactly. Um, one question I wanted to ask you, obviously you're a big 10 guy, but with the sec moves of Oklahoma and Texas, do you think that'll hurt or do you think that'll help? Like do you, cause obviously look, we don't know what Texas is. Texas, Texas this year was great, really good start. And then they just completely fell off the map after losing, to, losing to Oklahoma. I just got to wonder if them moving to the SEC is really best for the
1: game or is it just a profitable move? It's a profitable move at the end of the day. I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, if you can't compete seriously for the Big 12, what chance do you think you have in the SEC? You don't. And I think think that these teams from the SEC – Will all of a sudden really be lobbying for an extended? Or uh, yeah, a um more playoff teams because they're gonna they're gonna constantly be beating up on each other all year, and there's no way like you know, like let's say you get two or a two or three loss SEC team probably isn't gonna make it in over an undefeated or a one loss Big Ten team who's a champion versus, an, you know, let's say Oklahoma comes in four, third or fourth in the SEC with, you know, two to three losses. It's just, in all likelihood, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, I it's all about money at the end of the day. Um, but it's a very, you know, and I kind of miss, like, I'm, I try not to be, I try to be open-minded as much as possible. Like, I'm open to change. But, like, when it comes to college football, you're seeing a lot of, like, rivalries and his, history kind of, you know, uh be set aside for like these lucrative moves. So that's the part I don't like about it. Um, but, you know, it's going to be super interesting.
0: Exactly. And then also to Disney purchasing the uh, SEC. So I think they're going to have, so ESPN will have the rights to the SEC, I believe too, starting in 2024, 25, which is going to suck for CBS. Because obviously CBS is the uh, big home for the SEC. And then also to, you have the music more than anything. You have the, mute, yep. the iconic theme song, but I will say this too. I will, if they don't bring them over, I won't really miss Brad. Nessler's fine, but I won't miss Gary Danielson.
1: Yeah. He's uh, you know, it's one of those things where fans, you know, hang on to guys for so long and it's part of like, you know, for me, it's like you, you hear, you know, certain voices and it's like, Oh, I grew up with that, you know, but Eventually, it's even, like, I hate to say it, but, like, Lee Corso on game day is tough to watch. Like he's just so, like, it's sad, like, but eventually I think you just kind of need to move on, and it's just probably overall for the best.
0: Um, I'm just going to go, I just want to pivot to that question, though. What's uh, what's the uh, issue with uh, Corso, just like, your, like, your personal issue? Do you think it's just one of those things where it's, like, you can't teach an old dog, new
1: tricks kind of thing, or is it just no, his just age? No, I think it's his age. I mean, he's just really showing it. He's forgetful. It's kind of, I mean, it was fun. The last few years, it was kind of funny because he would drop, like, a random, like, curse word. He had the infamous F-bomb, just flat out live on TV. But then now it's just kind of like he's fumbling over his words. He doesn't really kind of know what he's talking about. He's quoting the wrong teams. It's just, it's kind of, it's, it's tough to watch. I oh, What you mean?
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I love that clip. Yeah, I love that clip <laughs> of him swearing at Houston. It's just more than him him actually swearing is how Herb Street reacts to it, where he just like freezes up, and then Fowler, you can tell he's just trying not to burst out into laughter. Like those are like the best yeah. things about that. And then even too, he did it with UCF too, where he's just like no one gives a shit about them. I, I can see where you're coming from though. Like I don't pay too much attention to it. I feel like. With him, though, I think it's just a nostalgia kick. Like, obviously, ESPN had the very emotional return of Dick Vitale to the booth last night called the UCLA Gonzaga game. But yeah. I, I, I can kind of get where you're coming from. Like I, I like the panel of – I think if you p- removed Corso and then put Pollock in there more as a full-time figure, I don't think anyone would complain. But I feel like – I think you probably have some of the guys still campaigning for Corso to stay.
1: Yeah, I think I think I could see, like, as early as, like, next year – he just kind maybe he just does like the picks at the very end and then gets to do his headgear moment um either in person or they just kind of bring him in like on on like a feed like they did uh during the pandemic year last year
0: exactly exactly i i can see either happening he's been there i think or almost 40 just, years doing that yeah yeah
1: it's and he's an all-time great he'll be remembered as such but yeah, it just it's it it's tough to watch.
0: I get, I completely get where you're coming from with that. I I just wanted to ask the opinion on that because, like, I like the panel yeah. the way it is now, but I can see what you mean too, where it's like he knows his stuff, and then, but at the same time too, you're right, his age is showing, and it's kind of like, look, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, like I said before, right? Exactly. Oh well anyway, I think that's just gonna wrap it up here for episode number one hundred and thirty-two of uh, YWC football talk. It's been some good college talk. We talked a little bit about the Lions Bears game tomorrow. Obviously we could talk about some other games, but look, we I did that on Monday, so and also too, uh, the Lions is more of the focus because obviously for as much as Joe loves Tom Brady and everything, he is still I feel like there still is that little kid in there that is a Lions fan, so that's why we immediately went down that rabbit hole. Un-
1: unfortunately that's so true. <laughs>
0: Well, anyway, at least you still have your uh, probably kings of interest in every one baseball team, the Detroit Tigers this year, to be happy about going forward. So there's that.
1: Yeah, we'll see what happens there.
0: Exactly. Well, anyway, folks, thank you very much for listening. Have a great Thanksgiving. Have a happy and safe Thanksgiving. If you bet, please do bet responsibly like I echo every week. And you know what? Hopefully this week's finally good cash week for everybody because, look, let's all bet like degenerates, but bet responsibly. And enjoy college football and the NFL this weekend, everyone.